Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of the Joshua Young. Today I have on my show R.J. Halstead. R.J. Halstead pre uh, tripled his previous income by accepting his software engineer role at Lark Health in June 2020. Back when we were roommates at age 18, he shared dreams of programming full-time and traveling the world. Uh, since then, he has lived in three different countries and has continued to hone his computer science skills. He is an avid reader, and when traveling to Mexico, he brought an entire separate backpack just for books. RJ, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I respect your intellectual pursuits of knowledge greatly, so welcome. Thanks for having me, man. It's quite the intro. <laughs> I'm going to have to borrow that from a dating profile or something. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. It's it's not a bad one. <laughs> so I've personally just been enthralled with your pursuit of your career and how that's changed throughout the years. So if you would not mind, can you kind of give us a rundown from like when you were 18 and like starting to program to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The short, the shorter version of this it's kind of long anyways but uh so i got into programming computers doing that when i was maybe 17 i happened upon a class in my high school that was about something computer related and it turned out to be programming i didn't know that going into it um turned out i turns out i really really liked doing that and was like somewhat naturally good at it at least compared to other people in the class. Um, so I kept going through doing that throughout the end of high school. And then at 18, uh, when I was living with you, I just kept going, learning on my own, getting into building websites. And basically I was very, for a while there, I was very, uh, very focused on figuring out how to make a living out of it. Uh, but like on a very like short term basis, and meaning that I wanted to like to be paid to do this like this year as opposed to like three or four years from now, um, which get, which meant I took took a very different route than I would necessarily recommend. Now, I spent a long time trying to figure out how to freelance and and which basically involved me building websites, helping fix like uh, various WordPress related things, doing some more technical customizations for um, some web designer people I knew. Um, I did that for a while and then over time working on that and continuing just to program out of pure interest on my own in other venues, I, uh, ended up working part-time for this, uh, design agency. It's like digital agency, I guess. I started get, doing like just 10 hours a week of support work for them. And then over, uh, this would have been maybe four years ago, three years ago, four, we'll go four. Uh, so I did, and this is, so this is, I don't know, I've been programming for four or five years now, uh, into some capacity on my own, start doing, these guys start paying me, I end up going up to like 30 hours a week with them. And I did that for probably, I think about two years, a year and a half to two years ish. They, and salary wise, I was still freelancing at the time, making like, by the, at the end of them, I was like $35 an hour. And so after taxes, like I was doing fine. It was enough to travel fairly full time. Like all the travel you mentioned intro happened at that point. Um, so I was working remotely. That was all, that was fun. Um, I did take a whole box of whole bag of books to Mexico, <laughs> but anyways, I kept doing that. Uh, by the end of that though, I was getting, getting pretty burnt out. I was really, really bored at the work I was doing. Like I really enjoyed programming and I was continuing to study on my own and like get real deep into the weeds and the type and just the, the stuff I was doing for them was so limited. And I, and it, um, got to the point where I was like, okay, I know I need to, rather than worrying about freelancing or being independent, quote unquote, I need to just go find work that I'm interested in that I find intellectually like challenging and, and stimulating and so the decision there was okay let's I'm gonna go get serious about getting a real software engineering job instead of just working on this like website stuff and I had some interesting projects while I was working for them I built out the like front end of this app that had last time when I left had like a hundred thousand users or something so like that's just as like a number is cool but now 
but comparatively now working at Lark, like they have, I don't know, sign- like <laughs> in orders of magnitude more people than that going on, and it's much more complicated, and the challenges are entirely different. Um, I'm having way more fun as a result. Uh, um, but yeah, so I got serious about, or I was intending to get serious about getting a software job. Took kind of a like detour at the beginning of 2020 with plans to go to New Zealand. Uh, was going to go spend like the whole year there work, on like a working holiday visa and just travel, um, explore and all of that. And then COVID hit in like mid-March. So um, decided to come back to the States because I didn't know what the hell was going on, like what the future was going to look like. I had no idea how to make that decision. Upon coming back, I was like, all right, well, I need money. I'm pretty much broke and I need to like go get a job. And like, I may as well get serious, like really go start applying for software engineering jobs. So I did like two, like a month and a half ish of like just nonstop interview prep, like get my algorithms and data structure skills up to par and like run, run through all this process, like and do these types of questions and um, that often come up in technical interviews. Uh, and then spent another month just like sending applications out every day and got through a few sets of interviews and eventually ended up at Lark, where I am now happily employed doing software engineering full-time and having a blast. I love it. I love the happiness that you found in your current career. There's a... It is a massively different world to be like, at least for me, to be like consistently intellectually like stimulated and interested in what I'm doing all day as opposed to just something that makes money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been great to see from a, a personal perspective, your mental health increase since getting a job. It's quite nice. Uh, there's multiple... Would recommend, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's multiple points of your overview that I want to jump into. Um, the sure. first of them being is in high school. You said that when you started uh, your programming class, you were better than your peers in that. What do you think were the advantages that you had that helped you kind of succeed in the programming in comparison to others? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is, is any, is like a natural like ability for math and sciencey things, I guess. And like, uh, thinking in abstract terms, like math class in school was always fairly easy for, for me. And programming was like an interesting extension of that sort of like ability and thinking, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if that's like a satisfying answer to that question, but fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, it could simply just be your desire of actually enjoying it compared to other people who are just trying to get a credit. I don't even know if it was that. I mean, plenty of other people were also like just trying hard and like doing fairly well. I was just quick, just quick learner, and at least in these things. Well, good for you for being naturally gifted. I love it. You said in your overview that. You spent about four to five years trying to figure out how to get paid very quickly in order to program through freelancing. And that's not the route that you would recommend for other people. Uh, What route would you recommend for other people? Or even put another way, if you could give advice to kind of your 18 to 24-year-old self, uh, what would you give them, give RJ, young RJ then? There's a couple, couple, I think, embedded things here. One is what 18-year-old me have listened to me probably not i was very like strong-headed and like thought i knew like nobody else knew what the hell they were talking about and like i was going to figure it out on my own so probably wouldn't have taken the advice well uh but let's assume i would have <laughs> uh let's assume i would have. i would have i think tried to explain get get across some concept of like the depth of different of the different possible paths before me like going and building websites and stuff while like there's a chance to make money at it sooner is significantly like shallower of of like a thing to go study. There's not as much like intellectual depth there and interestingness and as like, as the rest of stuff that goes into coding and software engineering, there's so many more interesting problems than just like, how do you build a small business website? And I think I would have tried to convey that. And, and then assuming I could have done that successfully, I would have, recommend like i would i I would be like okay here's here's a curriculum essentially here the like the things you need to study and like get good at and here's a bunch including a list of like here's all the ways in which you were bad at programming that i'm not as not that i'm much better at now that i'm like if you would have known about these things sooner uh could have saved some time uh so things like that as well as just like fields of study um 
And I think had had I had some direction there uh, and the willingness to pursue it, honestly, probably could have saved like three or four years of that like path. I wouldn't have a bunch of this like knowledge that I'd have about websites and WordPress and stuff now that is still in my head. But career-wise and like intellectually interesting stuff-wise, that uh, I don't care. I would I would happily like well, skip that period. <laughs> what? were some of those specifics that you would have told younger self to focus more um i would have uh there's a certain amount of that that i'm doing now actually um there of like kind of computer science fundamentals essentially that i'm brushing up on or like filling my gaps in um the ones i've covered and that i would maybe point out to my younger self revolve a lot around the like skill of programming in general um which one requires like okay you need to figure out how like coding works at all and like get comfortable doing some sort of thing in a language and then from there it's largely i think about um like how do you think abstractly how do you solve certain types of problems um and then they met then it uh like there's a whole skill set around that how do you break things down how do you manage uh, complexity? A lot of like coding and software engineering is mo since it's all just kind of ethereal and like stuff that comes out of people's brains that now lives on a computer and like then stuff happens in the real world. A lot of it is about managing complexity because these things can get kind of large to the and like it's difficult to hold everything all in your head at once. And the fewer things you can hold in your head at once, the better you can accomplish them. And so there's a whole set of like best practices and techniques and, uh, and just approaches that make, make it, make like, make the code better so that you don't have to hold nearly as many things in your head when you're thinking about a certain problem. Um, and so I'd outline a bunch of those. Um, I'd point myself to books like, uh, structure and interpretation of computer programs, which is a book I worked through on my own, like last year, which I think I'm, I'm like fundamentally, I guess, like uh, like a step up in programming ability as a result. Uh, um, like that that is a that gave me a significantly like improved set of tools for thinking about problem about coding problems. Um, and I'd uh, and then yeah, I'd probably like give myself see if I could point myself at like things like algorithms and data structures sooner. They're super useful. They're um, the type of things that, like, if you're just coding along, you normally, like, if you're particularly, like, self-taught, they never, like, come up, and you all, and you run into issues, and you're just trying hacking at something, and if you knew about this thing you could use, whether, it, like, this particular data structure or this, out, this given algorithm, like, you can solve so many problems just in terms of this set of, like, set of, like, 10 to 12 tools, um, like, that would make many things significant have made many things significantly easy that's kind of a long list probably but <laughs> those are some very that's, good that's specifics for people to learn from in order to improve on their programming if this is they want to go mm -hmm. on to um, it seems like it more is about just creating a stronger foundation rather than seeking money and if a foundation can be thought of of well, what can you learn now that you will be able to learn or be able to continue to utilize in 10 to maybe even 20 years from now? Um, you'll be on a better trajectory than the thing that is immediately. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think this is even, you don't even need to like that long of a time horizon. You only need like a two year time horizon, I think, on it, if you're being, if I'm like being honest about it. Like, if you spend two years ish, whatever, doing this stuff, um, in building up this like set of strong fundamentals, your ability like and speed at which you solve problems will these types of problems further down the line be drastically improved as to as opposed to not having that not specifically focusing on this set of things and just kind of hacking your way and like um like stumbling your way through like solutions all because in that in that scenario you'd of course build up some build up some tool solutions that you know about um but I, I'd give you, I'd say like two years is probably like the break-even point and everything after two years is gravy. That's good advice for myself. And of course that varies. 
<laughs> and of course, like that varies a lot about like how much time you're putting in and so on. Um, and there are ways to do it faster. Like I know there's um, boot like normal style like coding boot camps are kind of notoriously bad about like selling on, selling on this idea and then not executing on it. Um, but think at least like one thing that seems I know uh, at least one thing that seems to execute on that promise exists. Um, and I've, I've mentioned to you in the past, but anybody who's interested, I um, just from my outside ob observation, like I'd, I'd heavily check out Lambda School. There was like a, um, com like computer science, like we'll get you a job within a year training program. Um, it's, it's like six six months of like intense uh, full time job level like teaching and practicing coding on your end, and then they work to get you a job afterwards. Um, you do about as much program programming in that set time period as um, people studying for a computer science degree in college are doing about four years. Like hours wise, it's roughly about the same, which is why they can do it so fast. And they do seem to have like a good focus on fundamentals. And also there's the benefit of, they make money via what's called an, in an income share agreement. Um, so essentially you, you sign up to, you, with this agreement with them and then you don't have to pay anything until you get a job. And then when you get a job, it's just a percentage of your income for a given time period or until you hit a maximum number. Um, and so they, they, like, I think the incentives there aligned a lot better than like normal boot camps are and so on, uh, just because like they don't get paid if you don't. It's a very revolutionary style in comparison to most mm -hmm. any other It is very education. aggressive. You have to, yeah. And, and you have to, they have a part-time program too that takes roughly twice the amount of time because you're doing it in evenings. But either way, like you have to put a lot of time in, and uh, um, like if you're doing the full-time thing, you're probably not like working in the meantime. So there's aspects of that that can be tough. But for pure like you can do this as fast as possible, that's the path I would go down. I would look into if I was doing this again. Solid advice. Through learning how to program, I know it's a lot of problem solving, as you said. It's very. Uh, heavy in your mind but through the process of just learning how to solve these problems what has that looked like in influencing your own way that you approach life and the way that you think yeah sure um one version of that answer is i don't know because i've been doing this kind of as like my main interest since i was like 17 so those two two ideas are kind of intertwined and i, I don't really have like a good version of how I thought prior to learning to program. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, if I had to guess, uh, I'm probably, I think I'm a much better at, yeah, like problem solving uh, and things like problem solving and thinking about how systems work than I otherwise would be. Um, those and, and those are very important, like just meta skills you develop, develop through, via like getting good at programming. Um, I'd also guess, uh, well, those are probably the main things. There's there's some other, um, there's a certain amount of like maybe nitpickiness or not nitpickiness, but uh, like if you've ever played a board game with me and there's a dispute about rules or a question about the rules comes up, I'm very, uh, I, I'm very insistent on going and looking it up and like getting into the deep which I think is a habit that is a result of programming uh, that I w probably otherwise wouldn't have because if you're when you're programming, like you're working with your main person you're working with is the computer and the computer only works if you, uh, according to like the correct set of like very specific set of details. And so you can't kind of have you, if something, if you like have a bug and you're not sure what, why it's not working or uh, why you're out, why what you expect isn't happening and this is happening instead, you have to get very, very fine grained about how the thing you're building works. Um, you can't, you can't solve this type of stuff at that level, at that like level of detail, at least with a kind of general understanding, you have to get into the weed. Um, so as a result, that habit carries over to things like, um, yeah, those are the, the large, lar the larger, more prevalent things that I had the privilege of you coming over and spending some time with you in person last month. And 
we brought out another board game that we played in the past, Eldritch Horror, and the I know this game relatively well, but you fine-tuned our gameplay quite a bit, which did improve the quality of the gameplay, which was fun. And it makes sense that that comes from programming, which computers don't play with house rules. There's no... Right. <laughs> um, I know you've spent a lot of time learning, reading, and approaching learning. Um, what is your approach to try and uh, gain knowledge? Sure. Um, I think the, fu the fundamental part is just a real lot. Um like step one <laughs> i i uh read a ton like growing up as a kid and like into early adulthood and i still i think read a lot com comparatively to most people now um i don't read as much as i used to which really really bugs me because i really uh, i i'm i'm much happier i think i'll enjoy my time more when i read more um and so i've been working on figuring out how to uh get that habit back and get like that long longer attention span to uh back um so that's part one that also includes not necessarily only books but like interesting websites or blogs or essays or whatever i find on the internet or i spend a lot of time on twitter and i've picked up a ton of interesting stuff as a result of just like following interesting people on twitter and reading what they say including a lot about my like that has led to certain decisions in my career path i don't think i would have many the many things would have been very different if i hadn't done so hadn't gotten uh including probably not ending up like in this, the job i currently have i don't know if i would have pursued the same type of role <laughs> without uh a lot of like silicon valley exposure via being on twitter um so yeah i'd say but mainly reading a lot uh going a level above that um or maybe like the way you read a lot is you read about things you're interested in and you don't have and so read read yeah read about things you're interested in um i read generally i read multiple books at a time that way so the, the trick is if you get bored with a book you can just switch to a different book rather than like okay i'm bored with reading so i'm not going to read um uh be very willing to like give up books so that happens like that the idea being like the habit of reading is more important to preserve than getting through any given book um so that'd be step one and then two is just uh I, i've also been lately trying to do a better job of remember like remembering what i read more taking and taking notes on what i read and like keeping track of those and so like we've talked a bit about how all that works and how my process for doing so like in rome research in the past um which i i won't get into the de details too much of here but mainly like all my notes and highlights from books end up in there go through the process of uh like um condensing those down to things in my own words and um connecting those to other ideas i've had and other other things i've read about and so on and i've that i'm still in the process of like developing that habit that routine that, um but for the few books i've accomplished like fully accomplished it with it's actually really really fantastic um makes it much easier to talk about them uh um i also buy a lot of books i think uh I, uh, I've seen this joke and phrased multiple ways, but basically that, uh, buying books and reading them are entirely different hobbies. Uh, so I'm guilty as ever of that. I have by last count, I don't know, 550 ish books in my house, in my apartment. Um, probably if I had to guess maybe 200 of which I've read, it's probably at the high end too, honestly. Um, I've been building up that library for a good like four or five years about it, but I think there's something to be said about being surrounded by a lot of books. Um, there's this idea of the of, of the anti-library that comes up that I think is originally coined by this guy named Umberto Eco, who's this Italian writer. It comes up in Nassim Taleb's work, um, but the idea is the anti -li your anti-library is more important than your library. Uh, the anti-library are the books you haven't read that you own. Um, and they're useful for a couple of reasons. One is just by having them around, you're reminded constantly that you have so much left to learn. <laughs> There's all these all this like knowledge you don't have. Um, so like maybe it enforces a little bit of humility there or like awareness of how far you have to go. And then two, they're great for like uh, research materials or just like being able to kind of run off on your own tangents with as minimal friction as possible. Um, 
like my rule for buying books is basically anything I think I would be, I'll be interested in like in some way or another uh, or any, anything that like friends or people whose like thoughts I really enjoy, like heavily recommends I'll just buy. Um, and I've been doing this for a few years now. It didn't, it uh, may like being fully employed as a software engineer now makes this a bit easier, more justifiable, but I've been spending way too much money on books for like four years, even prior to this. So, uh, um, but yeah, so any, anything that's interesting I'll buy. And then that way, I have just hundreds of interesting things around to go read and it's I'm, I'm never like short on uh, interesting stuff. Um, so anyways, I think at the end, end of the day that all boils down to just read a lot and read what you're interested in because even if you don't remember everything about you read, it's still everything about what you read. It still affects you and still like largely changes the way you think. I've had m like multiple uh, kind of like pivots i guess in the way i think about things as a result of reading uh various books and or in in that they've like very heavily affected decisions i've made and so on like there's a a few questions that i want to talk about with you in books um one i'm going to pose this and not ask it right away so give you some time to think about it okay and it's uh what books have changed what are some of the pillar books that have changed the way that you've thought most um, but before we dive into that, uh, I've been wanting to ask you this question for a while. Uh, I was looking through your journal when you were here last month, and I saw this uh, uh, quote that you had on, and it was, always read the best material that you can. And uh, uh, I'm curious, how do you fit, like find the best material? How do you oh, know sure. you're doing that? Yeah. Interesting one. You're snooping through my stuff. No, I just showed it to me. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I'd show you this. Uh, I think the quote actually goes something like, "You should always be reading like the best stuff that you know of at the time, or something like that." Right? Like mm -hmm. whatever books are the best books to you at any given moment. Um, and I had forgotten about that. And I think, but I think that's a very, I think, good way of capturing it. Um, as far as how I think about that, uh, yeah, I always, I always try to be, I don't know, reading good things and as a part of um, being very online, uh, involved in books and stuff. Um, I see a lot of book recommendations uh, from all sorts of places. And so those eventually, those like slush around in my brain and percolate. Um, and then, uh, so it, that's maybe one funnel. I would say as far as like what, what books happen is just like stuff that's heavily recommended or I see referenced a lot. Um, that seems interesting. Like I've got a bunch of those on like my to read list for this year that are like tangential to things I'm also currently pursuing or interested in. Um, one of which uh, for a good example of that would be, in, um, which is a book you've read recently that we've discussed somewhat is um uh, what is it? Al is it algorithms for life? Yes. Algorithms for thought. Uh, algorithms for life. Algorithms to live by. Ah. Algorithms to live by. That's it. Um, uh, that's a good example of like a book I would have never otherwise heard of, but lots of people recommended, it and it came in a few different contexts. And well, it's eventually made on my on my list of things to read sooner than later. Um, the other other version of other funnel here is. Um, over the last few years, I've gotten really into trying to work my way through the things like this rough set of books known as like the classics or the greats or like the Western canon. Um, and the idea is that if you look at enough writing throughout recently, recently in his throughout history, uh, and like, um, follow back the things they're referencing or like the origin of ideas that people are talking about, eventually you end up with a set of books and plays and stuff that kind of like form this like trunk of uh, like human thought that every that most things end up connecting back to in some way or another. Um, and so as a result, those things are so much richer to read because you instantly have so many connections to them in your own life. And it's, and it's also interesting to like see the development of 
ideas over thousands of years and um and so on and there, and uh so i've i've been working slowly working my way through like a version of like the list of classics um i'm going roughly by saint by the list saint john's college operates on um with like plenty of deviating away <laughs> um but uh so i've been kind of trying to try to read through classics uh um and then i guess maybe the third rule for that that the classics definitely fall under is um this idea of this concept of the lindy rule which comes up in uh which is like originated by Nassim Taleb um but the idea roughly is that um if a given thing has been around for x number of years it's pro it's pretty you can be more sure that it will last another x number of years as compared to something that has existed for less time um and so in the realm of like books uh and part of the reason like the classics are so worth reading i think um is if this thing has been around and continued to be copied and valued and like made it through the filtering process that is time for 1500 years or whatever or even the more recent ones like four or five hundred years uh it's like it's almost certainly going to be more valuable and like more worth reading um because it's been proven to be so over such a long period of time compared to uh whatever like bio like presidential biography or pop psychology book or um or really anything that's like came out in the last like five or ten years uh would be like there's much more i think staying power in, in the older ones so i try to lean that way um as i'm able so that's perfect i love those looking at sticking with the classics as they've stood the test of time and that's what everyone else who is currently writing books probably read before they wrote their book or their or, or the stuff they've read references things that originated there or whatever like you know you, you don't you, like the the part of the idea of the classics is like those ideas percolate into everything. Like uh, there's so much that is traceable back to them that you otherwise wouldn't know that that's where it came from if you hadn't read them. All right. So I'll bring it back to the last question that I asked, which are, what are the books that have had the largest impact in your thinking? Oh, <laughs> uh, what, a, what a question. Um, Come, this is like coming up with a what are your favorite books list this is like a nice no. at least a like slightly different version of that question but like it's always hard uh, i can definitely give a few i can give you a few i don't it, this will not be a comprehensive list but things that come to mind um are like uh nasim taleb's works particularly uh which already, i've read them like three times in conversation already so that gives you one thing um particularly anti-fragile but the rest of his stuff I like as well. Um, those are like sets, it's very like interesting sets of ideas that have uh, heavily affected how I one think about the world and like what will or will not stick around, et cetera, as well as how to make decisions about how to spend my time and money and career prospects, et cetera. Um, I'd heavily recommend that one. Um, if the, uh, I don't know if I'd put this on like my favorite or lasting books list, but this one, um, definitely meets the criteria of most impactful books in, in my life. Uh, roughly three-ish, three and a half years ago, like right before you and I went to Mexico, um, I read this book called Excellent Sheep. And it was it's this uh, author who's a professor at Yale t talking about how all these kids coming into college are just like really, really good at jumping at hoops. They're really smart. And they're really like focused and driven, but only at these goal explicit goals that have been set in front of them. None of them are like particularly independent minded or really doing anything that super like interesting and um, that's like outside of this like given path specific path. Uh, and well, I wasn't on that path per se, but like <laughs> one of the things that book did for me was to like it it revealed I think a bunch of interesting like intellectual territory that i never like thought about and it pointed me at a bunch oh like a bunch of books and a bunch a, a, a bunch of books a few of which i've since read and really loved as well as a way of approaching um intellectual life which, which is a like this like purely out of a mixture of 
in, enjoyment and some sense of like focus or purpose out of it. Um, like you want to go accomplish something in the world, but also it's just life can be like life can be very, very rich. And there's so much uh, like interesting literature and art and these just ideas in the world um, that are worth pursuing purely for that, uh, for that reason alone. Um, and, for, and coming out of like a not particularly like life of the mind style, like environment growing up, um, like being poor and like, I never went to, one, I never went to college, let alone some like very, some folk, some like uh, elite Ivy League school um, where these types of things are more common. Uh, anyways, so the, like that book was a bit of a revelation to me in regards to how to think about pursuing something like that and uh, just what was there. Um, that led me to read uh, Middlemarch, which is probably my favorite novel. Um, highly, highly would recommend us reading that. Read that first while we were in Mexico, which is an interesting to finish a book. Um, uh, that's by, It's by George Eliot, and uh, it revolves around a set of like characters in this provincial New England, like provincial English countryside uh, village in like the 1830s. So like very remote and distant and like nothing. It's not like particularly like exciting. It's just um, these like few people and like shit they care about and like in their normal lives. And like, they're all trying to like do like figure out how to like do what they want with their lives and partially succeeding and partially failing at it and so on. Um, but anyways, George Eliot's a fantastic author and that she does a great job of like making you understand and empathize and care about the like, small things in these people's lives and like what they want or what they're trying to achieve even for people that otherwise you would like just would otherwise despise it makes them much more like just understandable it's great um and it's got this quote that uh i find particularly like inspirational and if i ever like am going to get around to tattooing words on my body it might be this one uh that and i, <laughs> and I really should have it memorized but it, roughly it goes um i i want to see the world uh, by the same light that like great men have seen it by or something like that. And the, um, and the context is that this young woman, Dorothy is, she's like pretty like smart and precocious and it's the 1830s. Like, so as a woman, like she doesn't have many options in, in regards to like figuring out how to live an intellect, intel like an intellectually interesting life. And she really like, and that's her main drive is to find something like a situation in which she can do that. Um, and like, and that, so that quote is like her stated goal is to like, to just see the world by as it, as it is. And as like towers of like intellect and, and like ideas have, have, as they have seen it. And Dorothy's first like real attempt at that fails and uh, it's kind of tragic and highly, <laughs> I won't split too much, but anyways, it's a fantastic book. That's, that's one of my favorite quotes out of it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's like something older uh, that was impactful. Um, <laughs> sure. I wonder uh, if it's the one I just thought of. Work. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's, that's not the one I was thinking of. I was thinking of uh four hour work week, which you and I both read around the time we were 18. And that had a pretty large, like shaping force on what we were like types of types of lives we pursued and what we thought about. Um, so I'd still recommend that. It's great for just like I like opening up the number of like possibilities you see before you. Um, so that's on the list. Uh, yeah, Ayn Rand is definitely makes that list as of like influential books too for um, a few reasons. I think uh, the main one being that I was I first read uh, her work. I read Alice Shrugged when I was I think twenty one, maybe twenty two. And up until that point, I had been very very like uh christian I, I, would, I suppose that's how i would phrase it and um for some reason or another like i'd i'd had and i was like very backing up I, i'd say very christian like i was very involved in the church i was like intellectually interested in this stuff like a bunch of the stuff i read was around like the more in, like theological aspects of american christianity and how it worked and how you thought about various things um so i was like very into it very serious uh for like five or six years uh, up until that point um 
But anyways, I read Atlas Shrugged at like 21. For some reason or another, something I still don't really understand. Uh, I have some guesses, which I'll maybe get into. But I read Atlas Shrugged. And then after finishing that book, I was like, I it, I hit this point where I, was, I realized I didn't know if I actually, what I believed anymore. I uh, It made me start this path of like very seriously questioning my beliefs about God and religion and uh, yeah, which I very, which was a, which is a kind of like, you ever heard the phrase like dark night of the soul? This is the most, the, the experience in my life that points to that. Like, it's like just absolutely terrifying to like be up and like have everything up and be like, Oh, I don't know if the stuff I've been wasting my life on basing my life on is true. Help. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, pers- I, I went, I went through and very seriously, honestly, with myself, questioned all of that for like seven or eight months. Um, and uh, after uh, roughly which point I got, I came to the conclusion that I didn't think I really believed in God anymore. And then I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, I'm not Christian, etc. Um, so that was like, I guess, a pretty significant like shift in my life. Um, I run uh, slight tangent aside. I have no idea if I believe in God anymore at, at this point. I'm like much what I was much. I think anybody who like leaves a religion that they grew up in or like they spent part of their childhood in is very, very adamant and very aggressive about the fact that it's all bullshit. And then I think if you're honest with yourself over time and you continue to examine it, you probably end up in a spot where you're like, eh, the religion stuff, maybe God, I have no idea. That's where I'm at. Um, but anyways, I, if I had to guess at why that book particularly caused a, such a sudden change in how I perceived the world, I think um was that it, mainly it presented a version of uh of how to value the world and like who the bad, good and bad guys are and um how you think about yourself and like your own desires and what you want to do that was at the time very compelling um and very much not a christian like set of beliefs and i think like intellectually i found it compelling and so i was like oh this and so then i had to go question everything uh, that's probably my guess i'm still a lot of that is still somewhat compelling obviously there's all sorts of issues people have with Anne rand and compared to most people she's not a very good writer like most like authors she's not like a great fiction writer um but there's still aspects of those ideas that are interesting and compelling and like everything's kind of like one one dimensional and she's writing caricatures that of real humans and stuff um but but some of it is still like inspirational or interesting and like really where I think we're was that one struck. <laughs> That's a an extensive list. I appreciate diving into the details of some of the the books that helped pivot your mind. So. Anybody who wants to talk about these, I always love talking about books. Uh, so, um, I'm guessing Josh, you probably didn't expect half the podcast to be like one question like that. But anyways, talk about this for hours. Yeah. So, I love seeing you in your fun. element. We can plug where people can find you at the end of the podcast, Gus. Um, sure. But before we get to that, it's not over. We're on to something called the sweets <laughs> of the podcast, which is a fun game mm-hmm. of just overrated and underrated. So I'm going to give you a topic. You need to give me whether you think it's overrated and underrated with as little or as much description as you'd possibly like. Okay. All right. First one, weighted blankets. Um, I'm going with underrated because they're like an idea that you hear about, like, eh, whatever. And then I went and stayed with you last month and borrowed yours for like two days. And I had like fantastic sleep and it was so much easier to go to bed so much so that I like bought one prior to me getting home. You know, I sleep with it every night and it's fantastic. Like I get what I'm, I have a lot of going on at work right now. And so I'm getting less sleep, but the sleep I'm getting is better is significantly improved for having the weighted blanket. So underrated 100 percent. that it is so Plus mine is covered in geese which is great <laughs> perfect that transitions great to the next question bird watching mm-hmm. <laughs> underrated i uh over the last few years i've developed an interest in birds that I, I don't know where the hell it came from and i feel like and it's like kind of stereotypically like a very old old people like old man style of like hobby and interest um but birds are dope they're super interesting and i got some bird feeders i got a hummingbird feed and a bird feeder for christmas that i have now hung out in the balcony out the door behind me and I, like just 
now birds will show up randomly throughout the day and it's like i freaking love it it makes me so much like it's like little tiny bursts of joy just to see like this like interesting colorful thing coming to visit birds are great so great um what's your favorite bird right now um magpies are interesting uh they're smart and like fun and i've i've recently started following an account on tiktok of somebody like has a has like a pet magpie apparently i don't know how you end up with a pet magpie and if that's like reasonable thing to do but anyways the thing knows how to open like pickle jars which is wild great at problem solving apparently um so that or i i my classic answer is I love pigeons for some, whatever reason. Pigeons are like my first bird love. First birds I like started watching with interest. Um, and the be- my favorite version is the New Zealand wood pigeon. If you look it up, it's like huge and colorful. Uh, All right. Uh, next one on overrated, underrated. The Hunger Games series. Oh, definitely overrated. I think, I think uh, it falls into a category of uh, young adult fiction from like the early 2000s that all i think deserves that answer that everybody like loved and they made movies out of and it's all like just dystopian and some young heroine rises up and develops a starts an army and like they fight back and i, I don't know i think it's all it's all like very sh- shout like it, it, it it's interesting because it's like a lot of people's like first exposure to uh political intrigue and like how things like this happen but I don't know. They're, they're kind of, they get kind of repetitive, and I reread The Hunger Games as an adult, and Suzanne Collins is not that good of a writer. Like, it's not very well written. I think the like story wise, sure, but like the actual language that the books are written in is not that great. All right, vegetarian meat substitutes like Beyond Meat. Also overrated. Uh, everybody's like hyping hyping these as like the future. I've eaten them. They're kind of meh. Eh. You, they don't. They'd say they taste exactly like meat. They don't. Um, I dated a vegetarian for two years. She also hates them. <laughs> she things like black bean patties or other like other things that are like in the shape of a burger but aren't trying to taste like one are way better than these like fake meat things that are just like yeah. So they don't taste that good and they're terrible for you. They're like mostly like soy and oils. Like there's nothing like healthy about them. Going to Mars. Oh, still underrated. I think going. To, I think the possibility of humanity on Mars within my lifetime is like one of the most exciting things. Like that is like one of the, but the fact that that seems even like possibly achievable in my lifetime that there's a that there is a version of the future in which I maybe might end up on Mars, regardless of like how slim that possibility is. The fact that it exists gets me so hyped, and I am so excited to like. Uh, to live in a world where that might be possible. I love it. I remember you talking to me about the concept of going to Mars, probably when we were uh, living together uh, at age 20 or so. And I thought it was the most ridiculous concept in the world. And now it's kind of a mainstream topic. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk has uh, been remarkably consistent in his goals and also insanely effective at them so far i think like the fact that like like spacex isn't isn't is a thing that exists is amazing and i freaking love it all right significantly more length about that but yeah (laughs) round two going to mars underrated all right wrap up the show two things one do you have a call of action for our listeners um two parts one read more everybody should read read more reading's great like expand your view of the world and of the things you're exposed to read more read widely um and then two um like more empathy is good <laughs> i think uh do what you can to empathize more with people you meet and like understand their plights we live in a world where at the moment it's very very easy to just regardless of who you are and like what side of like whatever divide you want to end up on it's very easy to distance distance others and I think we we all stand to benefit and like be better people by uh, by like trying to be more empathetic and more understanding um, for young men. Uh, for, and I'll, I'll I'll say this out of personal experience in particular: get a girlfriend, and you will instantly well not instantly, but through the process of having to date someone else, become more empathetic. Uh, I'm much less of an asshole as a result of having adult relationships. <laughs> Agree a hundred percent. A lot of happiness can be found in those <laughs> words.
All right. Where can people find more about you, RJ? They want to discuss more books or programming. Yeah. Um, the easiest spot is probably just to find me on Twitter. That's most up to date and where I'm more, most like active. I am, uh, handles at RJ Halstead spelled R J H A L L T E D. Um, that's where I'll be at. My, my DMs are open. I'm pretty sure. So if not, tell Josh and he'll tell me, <laughs> uh, or whatever, or at, talk to me in public. I don't know. Just that's where I'm at. Anything that we've talked about so far, I'm always down to talk about. These are, these are like my bread and butter and things I love. So love it. All right. Last thing you could ask me a single question to wrap up the show. Oh, news, news to me. I didn't prepare a question. Reverse podcast host. Okay. Um, have you ever seen a whale in person? I took a cruise when I was 10 years old up in Alaska with my family. It's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to recall if there was any whales that appeared. I'm going to have to say no to that. But I will say I met like two amigos on that cruise ship. And it was storming like we were we ended up playing this game it was the like what's the sliding game where you have the puck and you have the stick and you like push it and it slides into a goal you know what that's called oh i know what you're talking about the name is escaping me um right. it's a classic like you're a bunch of like retired people on a yeah, yeah. Yeah, so obviously we're 10. We don't yeah. play it like that. We just play hockey with that. Of course. And yeah. uh, we were right, having, as you would. Yeah. We are having a ton of fun, and it just started storming like crazy. And so we ran into the back of the boat, uh, got someplace where we probably shouldn't have been, where we are like, in the exact back area. And uh, we were able, like, it's pouring down rain, and there was probably five dolphins that were just, like, following the boat right behind us. Ooh. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah memory no whale but still a cool it's too bad i've also never seen whales it's on the list though i think the fact that they're just giant like a thing that's like a hundred times bigger than you and then it's like also alive and kind of related to you because it's a mammal like wild want to see it that's great okay rj fantastic having you on the show thank you so much for your time and your insight dude it's been great thank you